I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Oh, are we going to have some fun today? Now, why do I say we're going to have some fun? Well, because we are we are talking about my favorite martyr story. And I know that's probably a weird thing to have, but, you know, I have a favorite martyr story, so sue me. Now, <clears throat> hold on one sec. As I slide across the room, because that's what you need to know and shut the door, because it's causing weird sounds in here in my ear, so... Why is this my favorite story? Well, it's my favorite story probably because it says too much about me, but this week we're going to look at a little bit less history, and I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about me because it'll help make sense of things. One, I love inappropriate humor. Not like dirty, inappropriate humor. I mean, unexpected humor. Uh, my line has always been, unintentional comedy is the best comedy, and this story has the unintentional comedy. I also love steadfastness, and this story is full of it. Um... What I mean by steadfastness is I'm a dude. Therefore, I love the idea of being the lone stander in a world full of people who kneel. And anyone who actually is a dude is the same way. So ladies, if that's your husband, good job. If that's not your husband, make that your husband. <laughs> there you go. Marriage advice. There you go. Two for one deal. So who are we talking about? Well, you can read a title, obviously. So we are talking about Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. I love this story simply because it is a story of faithfulness and steadfastness and an encouragement of the work of God. So because you know the world, these are part of the uh, Marian martyrs. These are two of the three Oxford martyrs, uh, Cranmer being the other, Thomas Cranmer. Let's make sure you know who they are because they're probably two of the most famous martyrs in Christian history. So Hugh Latimer, we'll start there. Cambridge educated, so he knows how to drink his tea with his pinky up, becomes a preacher and a chaplain. Fascinating as these guys develop how they get, you know, bachelor's degrees and then bachelor's degrees in divinity and then they get master's degrees and then they get doctoral degrees. We don't do school the way they used to do school. I mean, if you if you don't have a college degree and you don't know how college works, then one, you're probably better off than the rest of us. But two, let me help you out real quick. <clears throat> most bachelor's degrees at this point are can you show up and i'm serious about that and those of you with a bachelor's degree in the last 20 years will probably agree with me well maybe 30 you if you can show up and just keep doing the work enough times you will get the degree that's kind of the rigor we get back in the day they didn't do this rigor. So 16th century England, if you wanted a bachelor's degree, you typically had to write a disputation. You had to write a thesis, and it wasn't like, oh, I need a five-page paper with 4,000 words on No, no, no. You had to actually write. You had to debate. You had to show mastery of the subject matter. You had to show mastery of your opponent's ideas. You did this for bachelor's degrees, much less master's degrees and doctoral degrees. When you see these guys with multiple degrees, some of these guys have four or five and six degrees from different schools um they were doing a lot they were writing what's fascinating to me is hugh latimer's disputation was actually on the refutation his thesis was on the refutation of continental religion <laughs> 
In other words, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation coming off of the continents, coming from Europe proper. Now, what's fascinating about this is people read this work. One of the people that read this was a man by the name of Thomas Bilney, and he read it and then decided he wanted to go give confession. Bilney was a Protestant. Wanted to go give confession to Hugh Latimer, and the confession so moved Latimer that Latimer actually gets converted by the confession that Bilney make so apparently he was doing a little like that that preaching in prayer you know that people do in church it takes too long but when you talk about when you talk about steadfastness Hugh Latimer was just wired this way um, during his time as both a preacher and a chaplain, he actually opposed the six articles. The six articles were a part of the Church of England that were up for dispute. They concerned things such as, during the formative years, during Henry VIII, they concerned things such as transubstantiation, chastity of the clergy, the necessity of the Mass, and the necessity of confession, whether you actually had to go to the priest and give confession in order to be saved. Again, why all these things? And if you've noticed, it always comes back to transubstantiation. We've covered why. This is an authority thing. Same thing with the chastity of the clergy. If clergy are married, they have other priorities necessarily than the work of the church all the time. If you are trying to ensure that your church structure, which is what the Roman Catholic Church was doing during the Middle Ages, if you're trying to ensure that your church structure is monolithic and is authoritarian in nature, you can't have split priorities in your uh, in your underlings, so to speak. So that's Latimer. <clears throat> Ridley, Nicholas Ridley. Um, best description is he is a priest and all-around smart guy. So at the beginning of the split from the papacy— it was Ridley's research that led the bishops in London to write this statement. You ready? That the Bishop of Rome had no more authority or jurisdiction derived to him from God in this kingdom of England than any other foreign bishop. <laughs> I love it. In other words, even when he was still basically sort of a good Catholic, he didn't hold to papal supremacy because he was schooled in his hermeneutics and knew that's not justifiable by Scripture. He becomes a royal chaplain, meaning he was so thought of, he is one of the chaplains to the monarchy, becomes very influential in Edward VI's reign, is one of the main people who attempts to get Lady Jane Grey placed upon the throne as opposed to Mary. You can't imagine why that would go badly, could you? Ridley was so smart that he was actually beat a heresy charge in 1543 and aided Cranmer in the writing of the Book of Common Prayer. Now, what's also interesting is that he was an all-around smart guy and recognized that there was nuance in things. He was a bit of an, icon of an iconoclast. So iconophiles are people who worship the images and believe you should have images and icons in the church. Iconoclasts are the ones who smash them. Um, Ridley, during one of his uh, his exiles from England, spent some time in Zurich in uh, Zwingli and Bullinger's church. So fascinating in that regard because the vestment controversy breaks out in England over whether or not the bishops and the priests have to wear the robes and the and the sashes and all of that good stuff. And most of the Protestants' answer was no. And what's fascinating is Ridley actually said, no, you shouldn't have to wear it, and actually had a written debate with John Hooper, who we, who we mentioned a few weeks ago. 
and but debated against Hooper that no, they're meaningless and they're useless, so they don't actually convey any meaning. Therefore, if the king mandates them and they don't hurt anything, then you can wear them, but you don't have to wear them because they accomplish something. It's just it's fascinating to me to see a middle ground in this world that is so often portrayed in the Middle Ages as black and white that a man named Ridley was smart enough and knowledgeable enough in Scripture that he could parse out the details and uh, sort of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Now, you can imagine that as the ebbs and flows of English life are going on, Edward VI dies. Remember, if you um, remember our history of England, you have Henry VIII, who is a royalist Catholic who becomes a royalist Protestant, meaning he's always a king first and a Catholic or Protestant second. Edward VI, however, was much more Protestant than Royalist. Uh, Ridley was actually one of the people that influenced Edward to give away some of the royal property that was later used to build a hospital and other things, and it was encouraging him to use the empty rooms in the palace to house the homeless during times of distress. So Edward went along with a lot of this because, again, Edward was a Protestant more than he was a king. That would have been the tact apparently, that Lady Jane Grey was going to follow. Unfortunately, that doesn't end well. She doesn't have a great uh, claim to the throne, and Mary, being the actual daughter, not cousin of Edward, but actually being the daughter of Henry, has a much better claim to the throne and ends up assuming the throne. Mary is a Catholic first and a, king, and a queen second. And then always remember, Elizabeth is a royalist Protestant, meaning she's a, she's a queen first and a Protestant second. But until you get there, you got Mary, who's a Catholic first and a queen second. So you can imagine that someone as steadfast as Latimer, standing for the truth and denying doctrine such as uh, chaste clergy and the necessity of the mass, the necessity of, conve of confession, transubstantiation, what it is and how it's important. Denying all that would probably run you afoul of a Catholic monarch, as well as being one of the people that tried to usurp your throne. Yep, I think Mary frowned on that, which is one of the reasons why Ridley is rounded up to toot sweet and quite quickly sent to the stake to be burned. Now, What's interesting is neither one of these guys are young at this point. It's one of the reasons why they're so renowned is they were very well respected. Latimer was a beloved churchman and preacher, uh, counselor. Ridley was quite well known for both his royal ties but also his academic prowess. People knew him and respected him, and the same was true for both of these men. So there was a large crowd at their execution. They were, of course, given the benefit by um, Latimer's brother, of having gunpowder tied to their necks. And unfortunately, man, medieval executions are rough. The, the, the death of Latimer was relatively quick. The fire came on him. He died quickly. The fire did not work that well for Ridley because they packed the sticks too tight around him and it took a while and he's actually quoted as saying numerous times I cannot burn and the reason he was saying that is because people were looking at him and they could only see him from about the waist up and he was unharmed untouched but his legs were actually being torched now before all of that Latimer, as they light the fire, and the fire begins to swoop, because they start it on Ridley's side, and then it moves over to Latimer's side, because Ridley's side is so tightly packed, it can't burn, the fire moves underneath. Latimer sees the flames and says this, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out.
I, I want to be strong enough that when they try to light me on fire because I'm following Christ, that I can make candle jokes. Okay, I, I want to be able to make jokes like that, as true as they may be, because my faith is in Christ and not the world. That's why I love these two guys. Ridley actually ends up finishing off his own execution because they finally, one of the executioners realizes what's gone wrong, and he pulls the sticks away so that the fire can actually move up and kill Ridley, and he bends down so that the gunpowder tied around his neck can explode so that he can just be done with it and be over with it. That is a level of no fear and a level of not being concerned with death or the things of this world that I want to attain and I don't have because I'm not facing that sort of existential threat on a regular basis. That's again one of the reminders, Christian. Yes, admire these men. Yes, remember their works. Yes, remember their words, but also remember that it is the Holy Spirit that strengthened them. It is the Holy Spirit that gifted them, and it is the ministry of Christ is why we remember them. Not because of who they were, but because of who Christ made them to be. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.